1: From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available Intelligent 4-Wheel Drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent 4-Wheel Drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions.
2: The future is just a thought. In this episode, Eckhart talks with a live audience about our obsession with the future. He says, if we're always living for the future, we never get to experience the present because the future is only a thought. We spend our time waiting for a life that never arrives, full of missed opportunities now. Eckhart reminds us the only moment we ever truly have is the here and now.
3: Just checking if everybody's present. <laughs> Especially important as you begin to move around again, leaving here, many of you, one little thing, if you remember to live this little thing that would already significantly change your state of consciousness. And that little thing to remember not as a memory, as a concept that you remember, but to remember to apply every moment is or concerns the value that you attribute to the present moment, whatever may be happening in the present moment. And the usual mistake or dysfunctional way of living, unconscious way, is, as I've mentioned before, is devaluing the present moment and overvaluing the next moment. That's so unconscious that most people have no idea that that's how they live, because everybody lives like that and everybody has been conditioned to live like that. But that is a significant factor in unskillful living, unconscious living, and it strengthens the ego enormously. Ego lives always with reference to past and future. For example, I come here, I emerge from behind the curtain, (laughs) and then I walk to the chair. Walking to the chair has as much value as arriving at the chair. So, by giving your complete attention to every step, you actually honor this moment fully instead of unconsciously devaluing it because you believe you need to arrive somewhere else, which promises some measure of fulfillment, no matter how small, or sometimes some big fulfillment, but no matter how small, So if I walked in here in that dysfunctional and unconscious way, (laughs) the steps that I'm taking towards this chair would be devalued in my mind as being less significant than arriving at this chair or starting to speak. And the arriving is always very short. You arrive and then it's over. So, Now, if you begin to travel again from here to home or from here to somewhere else, if you can remember that the present moment is all you ever have and carrying your suitcase from here, oh, well, people don't carry, they've got wheels these days. So wheeling your suitcase from here to there, or wherever it is, to the bus, to the car, to the airport, to the train station—all those moments are not inferior to any next moment, because then what? And then you arrive at the train, and then you look for something else to now. I need to get, need to get so mentally you're always somewhere else instead of giving fullest attention to this, because this is the most valuable moment. Why? Because it's the only one, the present moment. So to live as if the next moment were more significant, more important, is a very unconscious way to live. And the strange thing is you never really, ultimately, arrive anywhere. Because the arriving is never enough. The arriving is immediately replaced by some new mental projection, some next moment. Even on a big scale, often people experience that, some huge success that they've been striving for, for years, and finally it comes, and then they sit there in their big house. Often it goes with success, but, or whatever, with their private debt, and it feels good for a while, especially if you invite other people who don't have private debts. <laughs> then it feels even better (laughs) because it enhances your fictitious sense of self. But after a while, even that wears off. So you have arrived, you've made it. That's the English expression. I made it. Made what? (laughs) In case you don't know that English expression, it means I have succeeded in my endeavors. (laughs) I made it idiomatic expression strange one so the world is full of people who want to make it and when they make it there's a brief moment of satisfaction that's the arriving then they go okay now what the same dissatisfaction arises again with the, and then you have to the making it is not enough you have to make more
0: <laughs> you like to watch new stuff right well go to hulu and see what's new cuz hulu has new stuff all the time Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. A lot can happen between
2: falling in love with a house online and owning it.
1: with seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available Intelligent Four-Wheel Drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent Four-Wheel Drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions.
3: So a small scale and large scale, just this little thing, give your fullest attention to this moment, because it's not true that the next moment is more significant, because it never comes. So it's a way of living absorbed in thought. If you always live for the future, you're absorbed in thought, because future is a thought. It's never experienced as an actuality. So an essential part of being lost in your mind is to be lost in the future, because to be lost in the future always looking to the next thing is to be lost in your mind because that's where the future is, not here and now. This does not mean you will no longer make any plans. That doesn't mean that on a practical level, you can plan and say, okay, at such and such a time, I need to be there, whatever you use for your planning, probably a device, and then if you're, old generation like me, you you go like, I need to be there and you tap in where you need to be in your diary. Or if you are with younger generation, your fingers move in a different way. (laughs) They go like that. (laughs) Or the old ones, they go. and still get it wrong. Every third one is wrong. (laughs) So there is a way of being totally present in the planning for the next, for the future. So this is actually, you're very focused in planning your next destination. What time do I arrive there? What do I need to do? When do I need to be ready? And you can write it down. And you can be fully present in that. And once you've done that, your attention is again here and now. It was even here and now when you were planning it because you were not mentally devaluing the mom, this moment of planning. And the strange thing is you begin to enjoy now all the small things in life that before you had overlooked or neglected because the mind projects the bigger thing. And even on a small scale, it's the bigger thing like I need to pack my suitcase and I need to get the bus. That's, that is a, on a very small scale, the next big thing that I need to get to. <laughs> In the meantime, you devalue the moment between now and getting the bus or the train. <laughs> and then once you're on the bus, you think, okay, now I need to get off the bus. And then, you know, where do I need to go? I need to go there now. <laughs> And then you arrive there. But of course, that's only te- very temporary relief because now you need to go somewhere else. <laughs> and when you're sitting on the plane or wherever, or in the car, you, you mentally project yourself to tomorrow morning. <laughs> <Gee>. <laughs> There's always a more important moment and it's in the future. Now, what you neglect then and what you continuously overlook is all the small things that actually make up a vast percentage of your life, is all the little things that before are relegated to the periphery of your life. What are those little things? Well, for example, things that you handle in your life, things that you, you take pick up and put there and objects around you, the world around you, walking, breathing, looking at the sky, looking at a tree, seeing, breathing in the air, looking at another human being, sensing their deeper aliveness, all the little things that constitute life, even if you are, a so-called VIP in the eyes of the world, which is pretty meaningless, it's just a narrative. And you go from one significant thing to another. But all the steps that you take, even if you get picked up in a limo, as I sometimes do when I go for a talk, the organizers send a limo. well, a big, a, a car, big, a of room in the back, that's a limo, and you can stretch your legs. <laughs> so then it's just, just very little things. You walk to the car, and you breathe, and then you get in and you sit. Okay, well, it's just you're sitting somewhere and breathing and looking, you're looking out of the window, and then you arrive at a venue and you take a few steps into the car and you sit again, and then you walk onto the stage. (laughs) It's all little things. And even the, whoever, if you are the Pope or the president of a huge corporation or the president of a country, it's still the same. Life consists of small things, all the things that look at, just your relationship with objects. This is usually overlooked because every object is treated as a means to an end. But if you, live in a way that is more present, then the objects may still be a means to an end, but they are also giving just short attention, just picking up a glass. There is pleasure in enjoyment in even just looking at a glass and the water and drinking. And to realize that most people realize that for the first time, if ever, when they take certain types of drug, like acid, because it amplifies your sense perceptions and it shuts off your thinking mind. And then for the first time, you pick up a glass of water and you go, oh, wow. (laughs) So amazing, so amazing. (laughs) I can't believe it, (laughs) and it is. (laughs) And then you drink, and the taste is so incredible. It's water, it's amazing, it's liquid, alive, it's alive, it's liquid. (sighs) No, I haven't taken acid before coming here. Um, It's just giving it your fullest attention without interference of thinking, just awareness. And the background then to that state of inner peace or contentment is all the aliveness of everything around you. When you, you pick up something, put it in your suitcase, pick up something else, and fold it. That's a nice thing to do taking a fruit, maybe peeling it or biting into it. The present moment, in its richness, that is usually overlooked because you're looking for something more significant. But even the most significant thing, let's say you got the Nobel Prize, can come to Oslo. I think there's one Nobel Prize that goes from, people come to Norway for the (laughs) peace, And then you stand on the balcony of that hotel that overlooks the square where the parliament is, I think, apparently that's where they go. And there you are, I have made it. (laughs) You're just standing on a balcony looking and breathing. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you live through and for a narrative in your mind that you completely believe in that becomes a conceptual sense of identity. I am such and such a person who has achieved this and that, and this is all the story, and that's me, and big narrative that gives you your sense of identity, thought thought movement. And then you feel bigger while you stand on this balcony and then you feel deflated when you step off the balcony. Or let's say you're, you're a pop star. Uh, what's the word that you use? A rock star, that's, that's millions of people say, wow, wouldn't be great, especially youngsters, wouldn't it be great to be a rock star? You can do anything. And, and of course, they experience this in a magnified way. They are on stage and energy moves through them. And then they walk off stage and they are regarded as gods by all these, by the audience, and they go, oh, only let me only touch you. I hope nobody does that to me, but. Uh, <laughs> let me only, t- may I just touch you, they say to the rock star, and, and uh, the rock star then having, in most cases, not that much awareness. They become feel they're more and more like a god, because they, believe in the narrative that all these unconscious people have mentally manufactured for them, and then they begin to believe in it, and then there comes the huge conflict or discrepancy when they go off the stage, and they sit in the green room or somewhere. where am I now? And then they have to take drugs, because what happens, there's a sense of a lack returns much more strongly than ever before, a sense of lack and insufficiency. So I, I need another fix, a, a drug, or oh, I need mean to smash up my hotel suite.
4: <laughs>
3: that's what they do, rock stars, apparently. <laughs> and that enhances their sense of self a little bit more. So many people live for th- for something that's going to happen in the future, and of course, of course, you may succeed in your endeavors, this is a nice thing, but it's not going to give you long-lasting and ultimate fulfillment or tell you who you actually are. It's fine to achieve things, especially if they are beneficial, but for humanity and the totality on the planet, it's lovely to have that, but they don't even that doesn't make up your identity. So not to live for the big thing, but to honor the small things. The more you honor the small things, the more likely it is that you'll experience more good things in the so-called future because you have such a good relationship with the present. The better your relationship with the present, the better your prospects are for the future, which doesn't exist. If that makes sense, it probably doesn't. Not if you think about it, it's a paradox. The so-called future is an extension of the present. So if you want to invest in the non-existent future, invest awareness into the present moment, and the more you honor the present moment, and now we come to a related word, and that is honoring or giving attention the small things is gratitude, is the word, or thankfulness. Now, you can be thankful even if you don't. People sometimes ask me, well, somebody says, I'm a Buddhist, I don't believe in God, So, and the Buddha was a spiritual teacher who was awakened, but so who am I thankful to, she says. You don't need to be thankful to anybody in particular, Gratitude is an an underlying state of consciousness, which is giving your fullest attention and honoring what is. Gratitude is not having a certain narrative in your mind that tells you that you should be grateful because other people are worse off than you. I really should be grateful because all these people are so much worse off than me then you feel good because other people are bad. So that doesn't really work. Well, it, it works temporarily, but it's not the true, it's not real, that is not gratitude. Gratitude is not to do with a narrative in your mind that tells you something about my life, because the entire thing that you call my life consists of thoughts. What you call my life is a bundle of thoughts that you derive your sense of identity from and you call it my life. (laughs) It's a conceptual sense of self. It's abstract, it's mental, it's fictitious ultimately. It's not who you are. It's not yourself as the Buddha would put it. It is no self, there's no self in it. It's just thoughts, memories, thoughts. So thankfulness or gratitude is just giving your attention to a flower or a glass of water or the stillness in this room, the lights, even if they are artificial lights, the aliveness in your body. And then a a contentment arises, an inner peace arises because you're honoring the present moment. And less and less do you then feel that you need to get to some other moment to get away from this one or just reduce this moment to a means, to an end. So gratitude is uh, something very powerful. It does not even have to be in words. You can add some words to it if you like, but gratitude is just giving your fullest attention to something and experiencing it and realizing it's, its presence, its aliveness, even if it's an object.
0: You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time.
1: From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions.
3: Now, if you want to create something that is not an egoic Thing, but is something you re- realize from the depth of your being that something wants to be created through you, whatever it may be. Maybe you want to, you're writing a, write a book, open a hairdressing salon, create a retreat center <laughs> <laughs> or a conscious business or whatever you want to create and you have the image, the vision comes to you, or you may want to create, a, it's not necessarily selfish, a better place to live, a place that is externally more peaceful than where you are now, or warmer. You may have a vision of what it is that you want to achieve and then you focus on that vision and the most powerful way to manifest, as you probably know, I don't, usually talk about that too much because other things are more important. I talk about the foundation for your life. But manifesting is a secondary thing that can be significant in your life. And to manifest the most important secret, to use that word, I'm not specifically referring to a book called The Secret, but there's helpful things in there too, as long as you don't believe that certain things that you want to manifest are going to make you happy. The power to manifest is in experiencing the fullness of the present moment, the undifferentiated fullness, what Jesus called life in its fullness in one of the translations. I want you to have life in its fullness, he said. And that is not, stuff, is not referring to things. Life in its fullness is an inner state of being. It is to experience, to know, to realize the beingness within you, the I am, which is consciousness itself. That is the fullness of life in the words of Jesus. The fullness of life is to realize that so that once you realize that, and it is consciousness. You know yourself as consciousness. Once you know that, then no future moment can possibly be better. Anything that can happen in the future is an adding on to. So if you bring together, if you have a vision in your mind of what it is you want to achieve or create or manifest, and you bring this vision into this sense of still fullness, that you sense now, and you bring that together, that is the most powerful creative tool. The way that it's usually expressed, Jesus expressed it too, he said, when you pray for something, uh, believe that you already have it. But I think he probably used actually slightly different words, but that's how it was written down. He probably said, feel that you already have it. Whatever it is that you want to have, that you think is going to be, you need to feel already the feeling that you and now How do you do that? By feeling that which is beyond the world of phenomena out of which everything arises, which is consciousness. So when you know yourself as consciousness, that's already the fulfillment. Let's say even a, an insignificant thing, let's say you want to have an, a nice house. It's just say if I had a nice house out in nature, then I would be really happy. I want to have a nice a nice house uh, in nature next to a little forest. and then there's a lake there, and I can walk to the lake. and then how would you feel? Okay, I would feel exactly the way I'm feeling now. <laughs> I want to live in Hawaii and then have a deck out, have a deck behind my house with a very comfortable chair, and then I would sit in there every day and contemplate the ocean. Well, good luck. How would you feel? What would you feel? I would feel the fullness of life. Okay, and you can't feel it now. No, why can't you feel it now? Because I'm not sitting in this deck chair (laughs) and I'm not looking at the ocean and it's not sunny. (laughs) Uh, That's why I can't feel the full, and I don't have a house behind me that I say is mine. So I can't feel the fullness of life now. Okay, then do you think you're going to feel it when you finally sit in the deck chair? No, if you can't feel it now, you can't feel it then because you will be again dissatisfied in your deck chair behind the house because you will get very bored and stung by mosquitoes. (laughs) And it's too hot anyway. I should have gotten the house higher up (laughs) because, down here by the beach, it's just too hot. <laughs> Why didn't I get a house bit higher up? Because there's a mountain just behind me. It would be cooler when you sell your house, get one higher up. But then the nights are too cold, you can't sit outside anymore. Mm. If you cannot feel the fullness of life on your bicycle and enjoy that moment tremendously of being on your bicycle, you will not feel the fullness of life when you're sitting in your Rolls-Royce or Bentley or Ferrari Testarone, tester test, Rosa. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. There's an overvaluing of things around you that I need things to be in a certain way around me to be happy and content. That doesn't mean that you cannot change the environment around you, you can take steps towards changing it because you may have certain preferences. That's fine, everybody has a preferences, the preference. There's some spiritual teachers who say, or I don't know who, I can't remember, but there are some who say, I have no preference. Well, they live somewhere, but not somewhere else. So you must have a preference for being there unless somebody picks them up and puts them somewhere. (laughs) So you you can have a preference for living here rather than there. Yes, this country rather than that country. But while you're not there, you can be in touch with the fullness of life within yourself now. And then it's much more likely that your external surroundings will reflect your state of consciousness. Now, it goes so far in some spiritual traditions, also in ancient, Christian practices that the thankfulness is applied not only to the seemingly good things in life, nice things, little things, but nice things, but the thankfulness is also applied to the seemingly negative things in life. That seems a little strange. So when something so-called bad happens to you, you say, thank you. And that of course implies that you accept this moment completely as it is, and then internally you rise above the external circumstances of your life by being in a position of non-reactivity towards the external circumstances of your life. And this is the spiritual practice that one teacher recommended to his disciples. It's a simple saying which consists of two sentences, and it says, Thanks for everything. I have no complaint whatsoever. That's a spiritual practice. It's not just the words, so that you have to actually feel what the words are saying. Now, this is to be applied (laughs) in any circumstance in your life, so-called good or so-called bad. Whatever you meet, in your life, which will be in the present moment, of course. You would apply this thanks for everything, either verbally or just as an attitude, an inner underlying attitude towards what happens. Thanks for everything, I have no complaint whatsoever. No complaint is an important part too, because If you don't complain anymore, the ego will have quite a struggle to continue to survive in you. It may find a few other things, but it will be struggling to survive without any mental complaint. You can't complain about people anymore in your mind, what they should have done but didn't do, how unconscious they are, what a jerk he is, what he said to me, what he didn't do when he should have done it long ago. Why couldn't he? And so on. And you complain about situations and groups of people, entire collective groups, millions of all those, whatever label you attach to them, complain, complain. I have no complaint whatsoever. Well, that stops a lot of the activity of your mind. What could I think about now? I'm not complaining, I can't complain about my life anymore. I've, if I have no complaint whatsoever, I can't complain about my so-called life. Now oh, that's a big one. How many people complain about their lives, either out or out or in their mind? My life, I need to sort it out somehow, but it's just, why is always things could go wrong? Why did it all, why didn't I make it? <laughs> I didn't make it. Or I made it, and then I lost it. (laughs) Or I made it, and then it became meaningless. Or I made it, and then it made me sick because there was so much stress. Making it required so much stress, I became sick. (laughs) My life, as long as you believe in a narrative called my life, you experience your so-called life as a burden that you carry around with you. And this burden that you carry around with you is your sense of identity. And your sense of identity is a bundle of recurring thoughts. (laughs) But you don't know that. And if you don't know that, you are so identified with it that this burden you have to carry around with wherever you go, you carry the, the self, as the Buddhists call it the self and without knowing it, no matter where you go, Hawaii, Bali, the Himalayas, India, New York, Detroit. (laughs) (laughs) You always carry the burden of yourself around the the unhappy me with brief interludes of illusory happiness. meeting someone in a bar or it's exciting a new person and a few days later or weeks later, <laughs> he didn't make me happy. So when you don't complain about not only not other people, but also about your life, then you can't be a victim anymore. And there are quite a few people who have a huge investment, in their victim identity, which can be either personal or collective. Now, you may indeed belong to a collective, racial or otherwise, that traditionally and historically has been disadvantaged. You may indeed be part or have come out of a so-called marginalized group that has experienced discrimination in the past and may even be still experienced discrimination in the present and so you may be part of that. And undeniably certain historical things happened. It is very seductive to the ego and ego strengthening to seek a sense of identity in feeling that you belong to this group of people. And this is very seductive and seems to make sense, but you will be trapped, you're walking into a prison, you're walking into a mental prison by deriving your sense of identity from being a victim in your mind. Whether it's on a personal level, things might have happened to you as a person in your childhood, somebody treated you very badly, a father, a mother, a caregiver, somebody else, so that you still carry the scars or wounds of your childhood with you. Undoubtedly, these things happen quite frequently to human beings, and yet, if the narrative that you form in your mind and that becomes the basis for your sense of self is one of victimhood, then you are imprisoned in a conceptual, deeply entrenched sense of identity that is also ultimately fictitious because whatever happened to you is not who you are now. It is not your true nature. Yes, the emotional scars may be there and you can still feel them, but who is it that feels the emotional scars and the emotional wounds at this moment? Who is it that feels these things? I feel them. Well, who is I? I is not what you feel, that's an emotion. It's not a thought. I is the light of consciousness in which these feelings are being experienced right now. So undoubtedly, you may still experience scars or wounds from past pain. You may experience it as the pain body inside you, but the pain body is not who you are. It is an accumulation of past emotional pain. To make it into who you are, and then forming a narrative on the basis of the pain body is a very seductive thing, can happen very easily seems to make a lot of sense because millions of other people are doing the same thing. And you can even, if it's collective rather than personal, you can even get a great sense of belonging, but you are condemned to living through and in the conceptual prison in your mind. Not only that, you're also condemned, especially if it's a collective victim identity in making other groups of people, not no longer looking at the individual, but making the entire group of people into your enemy. Of course, and as you know, the ego loves its enemies. It strengthens itself, strengthens itself enormously through creating the conceptual idea of your enemies. And so there are millions of people who still fall into this trap, egoic trap, where they sort This can happen, as I said, either on a personal level, things that happen to you in your background, or the collective that you belong to or have come out of, and then you have a huge group of enemies and you will never be able to, if you meet anybody who belongs to that group of people, it could even be such a huge group as, Let's see, it's it's 50% of humanity, and that 50% of humanity is called men. I hate men, what they did to me. And then the whole, we are all victims of the patriarchy. We are all victims. Of course, there has been a patriarchy. Of course, there has been an extreme forms of yang that created havoc on the planet, and so we have shifted more towards yin now, which is a good thing. Hopefully, we are not going to an extreme of yin because that will also create havoc. But let's not go there. Nothing in excess. Victim is a is a huge a huge present, it is not who you are and make it impossible for you to, to find your own, your true power, because it would block access to your true nature, your deep identity. Any big egoic structure blocks access to, to who you are in your essence. So you don't even know what you're doing to yourself. It's comforting to the ego, to the fictitious sense of self, but it is a, ultimately a mental disability. You can still look back at history, you can recognize things that happened, whether it's your personal history or a collective history. And yet, of course, the pain was inflicted on you or your ancestors by human unconsciousness. If it's your parents, you can blame them, you can transform the unconsciousness that they manifested into their identity, or you can recognize that they could not act beyond their level of consciousness at the time. Nobody can. I did that with my parents, My and it was wonderful to realize that my father, for example, had accumulated enormous amount of emotional pain in childhood, and felt neglected, not given love and attention because he was the seventh child. Nobody wanted another child, he just happened. And he had many sisters, they all were older than him, and he he was just the last one, or not another one. The mother was very tired after giving birth to seven children, just tired. So there he was neglected, never hugged, and uh, he there was enormous, I only realized it much later, enormous amount of pain in his childhood and that pain manifested as anger, anger towards human beings and latent, that was the pain body, anger towards women too because the women neglected him, the mother neglected him, the sisters neglected him and yet, There was this anger towards women that he had, and there was this enormous longing to have the attention of a woman, which he didn't get as a child. So there was a resentment that he didn't get the attention, and there was a longing for the attention. Now, this is a pattern that he grew up with and became an adult. How did it manifest in his life? I only understood that much later, it manifested in his life as needing and an, an unconscious, powerful urge to gain the attention of as many women as possible, seducing them, It's he called it, to seduce women and get them. And he was a, became a master at seducing women. He was good looking, unlike me. <laughs> And so he was a master. He was, could get any, when he was young, any woman would fall for him. He could play this role of being the, you are the most important person I've ever seen, the most, oh, yeah. And the women got, oh. <laughs> and the moment they started a relationship, very quickly, he suddenly got very angry with her. <laughs> Then that was the end of the relationship. <laughs> Start another one and another. Then unfortunately he got married. So it took a few years before it ended, but one good thing came out of it.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and, and I know there was, there was a being underneath those patterns that occasionally surfaced. And it was wonderful to to feel that occasionally from beyond those heavy egoic and pain body patterns, occasionally a being emerged that was able, for example, to respect and recognize the work that I do. He read The Power of Now and not fully realizing its deepest, uh, the meaning at the deepest level, but he got, he said, what you are say doing is the most important thing in the world, I know that, but I can't live it, but I know it's the most important thing, he said. <laughs> so there's something in him that, that recognized it. There was, there was a little bit, especially as he grew older, small cracks appeared in the egoic shell, and there was occasionally, the light came through. And that's wonderful, It's a, I'm grateful for that also. My mother is another story, which we'll leave for some other day. <coughs> it's strange how destiny and fate works. Just one more thing about how it's all connected. Both my f- mother and father were a little bit eccentric. And when my mother fitted in more easily in contemporary world, when but national socialism in Germany, my father was, so angry with it that he started talking against it when he was a soldier and they put him in prison. (laughs) And that was in North Africa. He was a soldier in North Africa and he escaped from the prison. So he trekked through the desert, (laughs) it's a huge story, and ended up living underground with a woman that he found in Tripoli. (laughs) (laughs) And my mother escaped from this kind of military service in a factory where she was supposed to work to manufacture weapons when she was 19. After the second day, she escaped on a truck, jumped in the back of the truck and escaped from there. And then the police were looking for her. And she lived underground with an aunt for two years. That factory got bombed only a few months later where the people who worked there also lived and she would have died if she hadn't escaped. So this impulsive 19 year old who jumped on the back of a truck to escape from the weapons factory had a significant impact on the consciousness of humanity. <laughs> it's amazing how it's all connected. So the important thing now is that you honor the present moment as you Move away from here and realize the real retreat is within you. It's not the externals of this retreat. So you are not going to leave the retreat. The retreat means being in touch with the transcendent dimension within you. So the retreat can now become permanent and you don't need to come back if you are in touch with the transcendent dimension within you. If you have problems and you lose it again, you could come back to another, but I hope you don't have to. Remember, thanks for everything. I have no complaint whatsoever. And after you said that and you truly live it, the mind is actually still for a moment because without a complaint, there isn't that much to think about right now. And without devaluing the present moment, there isn't that much to think about, just giving your attention to this moment. So don't, don't reduce this precious moment to a means to an end. Take one step at a time and, and honor every step, then wonderful contentment arises. It seems to come out of the little things that you do, the little movements, you enjoy them, there's an enjoyment when what you do. And if something so-called bad happens, a big challenge could happen sooner or later. There are always two things a human can go when being challenged by something seemingly very negative. There are two things you can go. It can pull you into unconscious reactivity, make you unconscious, or it can intensify the presence within you. It's more likely in your case, that it will intensify that now that there's already a significant field of presence arising in you. It's more likely that the, uh, the next challenge, bigger challenge that, that comes into your life will intensify your presence. But don't wait for it to become more present because then you will certainly get it. It'll come anyway. Life won't leave you alone. Please just leave me alone. Let me just have a peaceful life without all these things going wrong and difficult situations and difficult people. And no, life says, no, you need the challenges. So there's this wonderful stillness here and let's acknowledge it. Let's notice it, be aware of it the stillness in this room. And while you're aware of it, almost one could say, listen to it, observe that your mind is also still. So the external silence is perceived through inner stillness and it can deepen the inner stillness. And once that's there, then even when you're at a noisy airport or in a noisy traffic, you no longer depend on external sounds, but while it's there, can be very helpful. So let's be aware of it now, even as I'm still speaking. I'll stop speaking in a moment. I'm still speaking, but there is this background here to the words, the sounds, that actually has power to it. The power is not just in you, it's all around you. Ultimately, there's no division between within and without. There is power in the space itself. There is consciousness that pervades the space here, and you, the human brain is like a, a lens or a focalization of that consciousness, the particular way in which it focuses. a prism, but it's diffused everywhere. This, you don't have to believe me, but it just comes, it's an intuitive realization which you may also share. So that's all around you. The most significant thing in this room is not what you see. The most significant thing in this room is actually not a thing. The most significant thing in this room is the space. And the most significant thing in you is not a thing either. It's the space of consciousness. And this outer space is just an externalization of inner space of consciousness. The vastness of outer space is an externalization of the depths of who you are internally. And ultimately you are, you are it. You are the universe, which at this very moment is becoming conscious of itself. So let's tune into this stillness, the silence in this room. Listen to it.
2: I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these Essential Teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening.